Well, we continue in our series uh, from the book of Ruth, and so I'd ask that you would turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. Um, in the ESV Pew Bible, that's page 263. Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her to leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, 
She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for these things. We're grateful for what we just sang about, your great faithfulness. We praise you, Father, for you are faithful even when we are faithless. And so we ask, Father, that you would help us as we gather together as your people to sit under the authority of your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would minister us, minister to us, that you would, as we've just sung again, that you would be faithful to us, that we come to you saying, Lord, fill us. Teach us, rebuke us, convict us, encourage us. Oh, Lord, that you would be gracious and do these things for us today. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I wonder what you would think of when I say the word bless or blessing. A young man asks a father for a blessing To marry his daughter. A person says that they want to be a blessing for others and so they serve them. A person has a a series of good things happen to them and people say they are blessed. A young athlete is exceptionally gifted in sport and people will say they are blessed with athletic ability. A person sneezes and we say, God bless you. We kind of use that term loosely. I remember seeing a sign outside of a church that said, Come to church Sunday for the blessing of the animals service. Where I assume that a priest or a a pastor of some sort will come and, and bless your animals. Whatever that means. I have absolutely no clue. I didn't go to that service. But in biblical terms, blessing is a very serious thing. The the invocation of a blessing, it's not just an expression. It's not just a word that's bandied about. When God bestowed blessing, it meant that he gave the person success. It is an absolute major theme in the book of Genesis. 
where a father's blessing was of such great importance uh, that it could create uh, uh, enmity in a family and strife within a family, even lead to the threat of murder as Esau threatened Jacob in Genesis chapter 27 over the blessing. Blessing was more than just a good wish for a person, but it rather implied the giving of power to succeed. Now, throughout this book, we see this theme of blessing. The characters bless one another. Uh, They call for the blessing on the Lord for one another. And after such a, a difficult and heartbreaking first chapter, uh, we were sort of left on the, on the cliffhanger last week, were we not? And today we see some resolution to many of the hardships that we were reading about in chapter 1 with Ruth and Naomi. And again, we are seeing the invisible hand of God moving this story along. And it is absolutely vital that we understand that that is what is taking place here. And so we pick up the story with the introduction of the last of the main characters in the story, Boaz. And here we get a little bit of insider information. We learn that he is a relative of Naomi's. And what do we learn about him? He is a worthy man. Or some translations say he is a a man mighty of strength. Or some translations say he is a prominent kinsman or or a prominent rich man. We find out that he's from the clan of Elimelech, that's Naomi's deceased husband. So by this introduction in uh, the book of Ruth, we can see that he is obviously going to be a major character uh, throughout the rest of this narrative. And then we transition back to Ruth and Naomi, where Ruth says that she wants to work. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Now, obviously, if Ruth and Naomi stay in Bethlehem and do nothing, they will starve. And so Ruth tells Naomi, let me go and earn some so that we are not destitute, so that we can actually survive together. Now, we will come back to this theme of work in a little bit, but just to say that Ruth here is demonstrating a fear for God and and honoring her mother-in-law by voluntarily putting herself at risk and going to work in a stranger's field. Remember, these are the days of the judges where there seems to be uh, little security and little regard for the sanctity of life. So Naomi tells Ruth to do as she desires. And this brings us to our first point this morning, a point we're calling a providential meeting. A providential meeting. These are not theological points. These are just merely points to help us get through the narrative. So don't read too much into them. A providential meeting. So we have been privileged uh, uh, to this inside information about Boaz. Uh, But Ruth has no idea who Boaz is. We've learned this. Now, we know a little bit more of the setting, but Ruth still has no idea. Remember, she's still just a foreigner. She doesn't know anyone. So Ruth asks if she can glean in the fields. And so she gathers behind the harvesters. And the text says, And she happened to come to the part 
of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Wink, wink. Uh, We just read about him, right? So there's obviously something happening here. Remember last week we discussed how God is not present in, in the personified sense in Ruth. You have to be a person that is looking for him in the text a little bit. And here we have a very clear indication that God is absolutely at work in this story. She didn't just happen to be in this particular field at this particular time. This was absolutely the providence of God. And the author of this story wants us, the readers, to get that. And in the Hebrew writing, they don't just say, and this is where she was supposed to be because God was acting providentially. And they write it in a sense that all the readers are following along and going, absolutely, we can tell that this is where God wants her. He's working these things out. We can trust him. He is trustworthy. So Ruth is gathering the harvest and Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and he greets his workers. The Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful exchange there? I know this is ancient Israel and that they are under a theocracy. But how many of you would be energized and and uplifted and encouraged and grateful to have your boss walk into your office and say, the Lord bless you, instead of, have you done that report yet? I guess there's not many office workers here. That's fine. Now, we also have to remember that this is a day, as we read at the end of the book of Judges, where everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. So it is an absolute joy to read about people who are living rightly and joyfully under the sovereignty of God. And on top of that, they remember the 10 plus years of famine that was in their land. It's not like they just forgot about it. And they remember that all good things come from the hand of the Lord. So they greet each other with this word of blessing. Then Boaz asks Ruth, uh, excuse me, asks about Ruth. Whose young woman is this? What a misogynistic question. Doesn't Boaz know that Ruth is her own woman? Doesn't Boaz know that Ruth can glean wherever she wants to glean? Is there something in the air? Are people not? Anyway, I'm being sarcastic. But why, why, why does he ask it like this? Why does he say it like this? He, he obviously does not recognize her. He, he knows all of his workers, and he sees someone new, and he doesn't recognize her. Is she someone's daughter? Is she someone's wife? Is she... You know, some relative of someone we know in our clan, of our tribe. But that's just the connection here. It also, it's highlighting the depth of loss that Ruth has just gone through. To whom does Ruth belong? She's just lost her family too, not just Naomi. Naomi's not the only one that's lost here. She has left her parents. She has left her native people. And she's lost her husband and her father-in-law, and her sister-in-law, and her brother-in-law. And as if that were not enough, listen to the response that's given when the question is asked. 
She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She's a foreigner, Boaz. Uh, She's from Moab, and I'm going to find a way to say this twice in the same sentence so that I can get my point across. Do you understand Moab? (laughs) And remember what we said about Moab last week. It's the descendant of Lot's incest with his daughter. And so it would have been hard not to put so much emphasis on that word so that the, the clarity of what is being said is coming through. You can't say Moab and Moabite without thinking about that heritage, the broken lineage that that comes from. These aren't people that we trust. Moab, Boaz, Moab. Then the servant tells Boaz that she is asked to glean after the reapers and that she's been working until now except for a short rest. She did not show up and demand to speak with the manager. I want to speak to your manager. She did not come and tell them that she wanted food and stand there and demand it. She came and she asked if she could glean and gather behind the reapers. And she has worked till now. And it's probably a very hot day and it's probably very difficult work. Look at the character of these people. They are in such contrast to what we read in the book of Judges. And they're all being woven together in this beautiful way that can be no other than the invisible hand of God. He has providentially brought these unlikely people together and is displaying his care and his faithfulness. A theme that we're going to come back to in a minute. A providential meeting. The Moabite foreign woman who has nothing and a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. A providential meeting. The second, a protective man. A protective man. See, they're not very theological. Remember, we were laughing at the fact that, well, I was laughing and you weren't. (laughs) Something's wrong with you all. But uh, laughing at the fact that Boaz has to ask about To whom does Ruth belong? You may remember it. It was a few minutes ago. Uh, Okay, so now we begin to see why he asked this question. He is about to institute a strict sexual harassment policy for his staff. He is. He is interested in protecting the weak and the vulnerable. He was not trying to demean her. He's looking for a way to protect her. I think sometimes this is where our society gets things quite wrong quite often. And and who could be more vulnerable than this foreign woman? She has no one to defend her cause other than possibly Naomi, who also has no one to defend her cause other than Ruth. And no one knows who Ruth is. So she is at an absolute distinct disadvantage in all of this. And Boaz doesn't say, good luck. I wish you the best. I wish I could help you. No, he instructs her not to venture out from his fields where he would not be able to help, but to stay where it is safe. I just did an interview with Michael Kruger a couple of weeks ago. He's a professor at um, RTS in Charlotte and uh, we were talking about college students going off, and he's written a book called Surviving Religion 101. 
And he, he's, he calls this the, uh, I'm probably regretting using this illustration now, but he calls this the, the horror movie effect or the horror movie something or other. And he says he likes horror movies, which was shocking in the first place. But on top of that, he was saying, you know, there's always a point in horror movies where one of the characters says, oh, I'm going to go to this place. Like, I'm going to leave the group and I'm going to go into the woods or I'm going to go into the scary house where all the chainsaws are hanging from the ceiling because that seems like the best idea. And he says, no, that is stupid. Stop doing that. It's the point where everybody yells at the screen. No, don't go in there. You know, it, it seems obvious. And his point was, this is what college students sometimes do, is that they leave the light, they leave the group, they leave the security of what they know and can trust and believe, and they go into the darkness. And it's very difficult to find truth and understanding and clarity and all these things when you leave the group. So he says, stay with the light, stay with the group. This is what Boaz is doing for Ruth. Stay where it is safe and stay close with the young women. And he has instructed the young men not to touch her, even though they live in Bethlehem, even though they are covenantly, uh, covenantally bound to Yahweh, and they've claimed allegiance to Yahweh, there, are, there would be those who would take advantage of a vulnerable female. He, he's also giving Ruth a sense of identity. By telling her to remain with the young women, what was she doing before? She was walking by herself and gathering up these sheaves. She's completely alone, completely vulnerable, And now he says, you no longer have to gather alone. Stay with the young women. You you don't feel more like a foreigner than you already do. He's giving her something precious. He's giving her identity and he's giving her security. He even calls her daughter. And having just had a daughter, I'm beginning to understand what that responsibility feels like in protecting my little girl. I want her to feel safe and protected under my care. Beloved, this is the character of our Heavenly Father. He puts his own, his children under his wings. And he provides for them and he protects them. And can we also point out that that the law of God is protecting too. It is Levitical law that the, that the poor and, and the foreigners are to uh, uh, glean or gather from the crops of what's left over on the edges of the property. This is Levitical law. That was God's law for his people. And he is the one who's providing the food from the earth. The very earth that was cursed in Genesis 3 to yield thistles and thorns and have to be worked by sweat of the brow. And yet God is gracious in allowing man to work the land and yield the fruits. To yield anything is a grace from God. Again, these people know exactly what it's like when the the land yields the fruit of the curse. They have famine and they have no food. But God has provided again for his people, and he has provided abundantly so that even the foreigner may come in and reap the bounty that God has blessed his people with. 
What a testament to the grace of God for the foreigner who sees the response of God's people in the times of famine and in the times of great harvest. Because the people were still trusting God, though Elimelech and and Naomi didn't. They left uh, not trusting God. But the, the rest of the village and the town were probably crying out as the nation is getting caught up in all their moral failings. And they trusted and they waited and God provided and foreigners would have seen that response. Look at the foreigner's response here. Look what Ruth does. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She is shocked at the favor that is being shown to her. Why are you treating me like this? She must have had a very different expectation of how foreigners were to be treated. And it really makes you wonder what Elimelech and Naomi went through when they were first being received into Moab. Were they treated poorly as foreigners? We don't know. But she recognizes that she is being treated as if she was not an outsider, but as if she was part of their community. She's been given identity. She's been given security just as a as an insider would be. And let me take just a side note here. Consider what, it would, what that would feel like in today's context. Let's say you're not a Christian, but you've been invited to church, and you're greeted well, and you're treated not as a foreigner or an outsider, but as a part of the community. You're not being treated as a Christian, per se, in, in those exact terms, but you are loved and you are welcomed as a Christian. Uh, You will be told you need to repent of sin. You will be told that you have a great need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. But that is a message that all of us need to hear. But one of the things I hear when people come and join churches, really any Bible-believing church, is that they were made to feel as if they were part of the group. There's something to be said there about Ruth's experience. Well, so Boaz answers her question, answers Ruth's question. He's been told about all that she has done for her mother-in-law, how she left the security of her family and her native land and came to a people that she does not know. It sounds a lot like the patriarch Abraham, who left his native land and left his people in order to follow God. Then he asked that the Lord would repay her or reward her for all that she has done. A full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now he may be saying this because he knows the character and the promises of his God. And he knows that God will bless those who are a blessing. And that she has forsaken her land and her people and her family and her gods for the protection and the security of Yahweh. The great protector as opposed to the Moabite god Chemosh, the great destroyer. Quite the contrast there. And think again of the promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Those who curse you or dishonor you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless. And here is Ruth being a blessing to a child of Abraham. Will God not honor her? Ruth 
then thanks Boaz for his comfort and his kindness. She has just been to hell and back metaphorically. Some people will say something about hell and back literally, and I never understood that because they haven't actually gone to hell. Need to understand metaphor and literal. Uh, But she's just been there metaphorically, right? With the loss of life and leaving all that she knows. And here she receives comfort and kindness from a stranger after she has lost everything. And she recognizes her lowly status before Boaz. She here, a foreigner with nothing, he is this uh, prominent, wealthy man with everything. And she's not even a servant of his, and yet she is receiving treatment so much better than what she would have expected of someone from her lowly status. A providential meeting, a protective man, third and finally, a provided meal. Do you like that? I made them all P and M. That was good. It actually, I really, I didn't even have to do any work. It all just kind of came together. Um, that doesn't mean I'm lazy. I just, it was just there. Anyway. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. Boaz makes sure that she has not only enough at mealtime, he makes sure that she has not only enough at mealtime, he makes sure she has abundance. Boaz knows that she's also caring for her mother-in-law. He's already said, I've, I've heard about your story. And the only way he could have heard about that story is that Naomi is telling everyone about her story. And so the word has gotten to Boaz about Naomi and Ruth's story. So he knows that he, she's caring for her mother-in-law and he wants to ensure Naomi's well-being as well. But the abundance here reminds us of God's abundance. In 2 Kings chapter 4, when Elijah feeds a hundred men with 20 loaves. In John chapter 6, when Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves. In both cases, there was food left over after everyone had eaten and was satisfied. You go to your satisfaction, ding, and then it goes boom over the top. Ruth is satisfied, and then there is still more roasted grain. And then she works, and she yields an ephah of barley. It's something like 30 pounds of barley. I don't know if she's making beer or what's going on. but So when she comes home with this bounty, Naomi is shocked. What is this? She was probably nervously waiting at home all day, wondering what was going to happen with Ruth. Will she be safe? Was it, was it uh, poor judgment on my part to let her go out, knowing how unsafe everything was in Israel in those days? Feeling insecure about their position and needing uh, support and help from people? Will the hand of the Lord continue to be against her, as we read in chapter 1, or will something change? What a relief to see so much produce come in. Not just enough for satisfaction, but an abundance. So she asks, where were you gathering? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Here again, we see the use of blessing. 
Blessed be this man because he has saved you and he has saved me. When Ruth tells her that it was a man named Boaz, Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And now we all of a sudden see this shift. This is really the major turning point in this whole story. We see this shift in Naomi. For she calls a blessing of God upon Boaz. But then she says, the Lord's kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi As we have been recognizing, Naomi recognizes that God was at work behind the scenes and on her behalf. Feeling forsaken by God is one of the main themes of this book. Remember, Naomi had accused God of of making her life difficult. And now with the news of this this providential accident, this run-in with Boaz... She realized that in spite of all that has happened, Yahweh, whom her husband and she had, had, had trusted all those many years ago, had not forsaken her after all and was still showing faithfulness to her and to her family, even though she was unfaithful to him. The term she uses here for kindness is chesed. We've talked about this term before. It can mean Faithful love. It can mean kindness, loving kindness, or faithful love, which is what God is displaying for her. She left, remember from last week, she she left Bethlehem full, and God brought her back empty. She admitted that she was disappointed with God. Then her faith has now been rekindled, not in a way that she anticipated. This is not the way she would have written the script. But through her Moabite daughter-in-law, who she was urging to go back home. And now with this abundance of grain and barley, she saw that someone had been kind to Ruth. But when she heard that it was a relative, that it was a redeemer in Boaz, that was too wonderful to just be a coincidence. It wasn't just random. And with great relief, she realized that God had not forgotten about them and was working on their behalf. And this is where I want us to finish this morning. Again, Naomi says, May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God is faithful. And he will not forget the ones he loves. And that faithfulness and that hesed loving kindness was not just for Ruth. It was not just for Naomi. But as we will see in two weeks, it was for all of us. Because, spoiler alert, this redemption is leading us to Jesus, the true Redeemer, the full and comprehensive Redeemer. We started out by discussing what it is to bless or or be a blessing or be blessed. It's not good fortune. It is that God would show favor. That God would grant 
success. Not that success would find you, but that the sovereign God would be the one, the active agent. And here is Naomi and Ruth, the woman who wanted to be called Mara because of the hand of the Lord being against her, and Ruth, the foreign woman from outside of God's people, and God chooses to show them favor and grant them success because they were good people? Because they did the right thing? No, because it was his will to do so. And their response is a good response. The Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. So whether it is an Israelite coming out of exile who may have been the original recipients of this book, coming out of exile, wondering what Israel will be like. Some of them never, have never been there. Or if you're a Bethlehemite coming out of a time of famine or a person today coming out of great difficulty and tragedy, we can remember the loving kindness of our God who does not forsake his people. And we see that no more clearly than through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The, the ultimate display of hesed. The ultimate display of his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, I think it's easy. Sometimes we think that you're faithful because we've been good. We think that you're faithful because we've done everything right and we're just waiting for you. And that's not it. You're faithful because that is who you are. I think of the Beatitudes, which is not telling people how to be blessed, but it is a description of the blessed status of those who are secure in you. And we can have that blessed status because you are faithful. We are the fickle ones. We are the ones who wander and, and get things wrong and have to be reminded over and over again. But you remain faithful to who you are. So, Father, remind us of these truths. Remind us of your character, the loving kindness that you show, the faithfulness that you display. Help these things to be imprinted on our minds and hearts as we do our work, as we do our worship, as we do all of these things every day, this week, this month, as we consider ourselves your servants. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.